Welcome to our GSP Ace of the Day segment, a show where I'll offer my picks for each and every day of the 2023 Australian Open. Day two of the year's first major is upon a 64 more exciting first round singles matches for all of us tennis fans to enjoy. Before I offer my picks for day two to all of you, I do want to offer a quick synopsis once again on what you can expect from this segment over the course of the next two weeks, just in case you missed yesterday's episode or you're a new listener of this Great Shot podcast feed. What you can expect from this show is for me to offer picks for each and every day's matches at the 2023 Australian Open each day. I will take a gander at the odds being offered by our friends at the DraftKings Sportsbook and try to ascertain where I see value and communicate that value to all of you listeners. Now, of course, there are so many matches on any given day of this event. It would be damn near impossible for me to preview everything to offer a pick on every match. That said, again, I will look for where I see the most value. I will offer picks on those matches. I will explain my reasoning for each of those picks. As always, at the start of this slam, my goal is to win 60% of our picks to finish over plus 10 units for the event. Those are the goals. Those are the expectations. That's what we'll be doing here on this show. There will be, I suppose, a gambling slant, although, again, I don't have any tolerance for abuse of these athletes. If you are gambling on them, you are taking a chance. You are wagering that you are as smart as you think, are as knowledgeable about this sport as you certainly hope to be as a fan of it day in, day out, as someone who's listening to a daily pick show, I suppose. But again, let's put our money where our mouth is. Let's make some picks. Let's put our knowledge to the test. Who doesn't enjoy a little extra gravitas to all of these matches by knowing you've got a little pride, a little bit of money on the line as well. So as always, wager responsibly, but we're going to have some fun once again here during this 2023 Australian Open. I like to measure myself, test my knowledge, and this feels like the most efficient way to do that. Also, as I mentioned yesterday, I think the odds offered by our friends at DraftKings, the percentages offered by our friends at Tennis Abstract, it offers an accurate assessment of what the public at large thinks about each of these players. Who is the underdog? Who is the favorite? As such, what should we expect to unfold accordingly? I think this is informative. I really enjoy doing these segments. Again, it's daily content. It's the opportunity to do it, offer some picks. We're going to rock and roll over the course of the next two weeks. We're finishing over 60%. We're finishing over plus 10 units. And right now, coming into day two, because I'm recording this here on Sunday night, we're still undefeated as of right now. No matches have begun in Melbourne as of yet. So we've got eight picks from day number one, three futures that... Does Iga play on day one? She might play on day number one. And if she does, then uh, I suppose she could lose and that could put us in a in a hole early. But Djokovic doesn't play until here on day number two. And so, again, those futures should hold for a little bit. Hopefully come day number three, I will have a more accurate assessment, a more accurate feel for where things are going. But for now, again, we're rolling on instinct. We're rolling on what we saw those first two weeks in Adelaide, in Auckland, in wherever that fourth tour-level event was, and, of course, at the United Cup. We're rolling off of who ended the 2022 season with momentum. We know 
know, given how short the offseason is, that momentum is a real thing in this sport. It does carry over over the course of the six weeks. And again, we're looking at some of the bigger trends in searching for our early picks here at the year's first major. With that in mind, I've got five more aces for you. It's day number two of the event. 64 total first-round singles matches, 32 for the men, 32 for the women. Plenty of opportunities to take a swing, plenty of value on the board. And again, as always, I want to offer my thoughts not only on my aces, but I will look more broadly where I see value elsewhere. Some things I may not be pulling an ace on, but things I consider that maybe you will be more daring and perhaps put a shekel or two down on. So five aces for all of you. I'll explain the picks. I'll explain my reasoning. We'll get into the rest of the day's board with that in mind. Let's get to it. Here are my GSP aces of the day for day two of the 2023 Australian Open. It's a day that, for me, will be defined by the American men, as there are countless American men in action in the bottom half of the men's singles draw, and four of them are going to be the subject of our first four aces of the day. Now, much like yesterday, it's early in the tournament. I'm going to be conservative with how much I'm wagering on each of these players. We're going to go a quarter of a unit on all of our aces here until we get a better feel for exactly what everyone's looking like here early in this event, but let's start with a guy who, in my opinion, had a very successful first two weeks to his 2023 season. That, of course, is Jensen Brooksby, who takes on Chris O'Connell in round number one of this 2023 Australian Open. Brooksby goes to Auckland in week number two, gets wins over Fodnini, Schwartzman, and Quinton Halise before getting knocked out in a very competitive three and four match against second seed and top 15 player in the world, Cam Norrie. You look for Jensen Brooksby last year, and I made this argument throughout the month of December in our off-season content for perhaps our standards, our expectations for Brooksby. It felt like a down year, right? When I say the number superficially, Brooksby 27 and 23 won only 54% of his matches made just four quarterfinals, excuse me, uh, yeah, four tour-level quarterfinals overall on the year. That superficially feels like a disappointment, but looking beyond those stats, Brooksby 12 and 11 in first round matches. Again, went was hot and cold, but played 500 ball in his first full year on the ATP Tour. And when you do that, you sustain yourself as a top 50 player. And that's where, again, the big picture perspective for Brooksby, four quarterfinals at the Tour level last year, over 500 in his first round matches, over 500 overall on the year. That's how you sustain yourself as a top 50 player. That's how you keep yourself in the mix. And at age 22, that's all Brooksby needs to be doing right now is putting himself in a position to continue to have opportunities to compete against the best. Now, you look for Brooksby in his 27 and 23 splits last year. He went 10 and 14 against top 50 players, 17 and 9 overall when facing opponents ranked outside the top 50. That's what he's got tomorrow. In Chris O'Connell, you look for O'Connell, the 28-year-old Australian reached a career-high ranking off the back of last season, was 78 at the end of November, currently sitting at number 79. You look 
of what he was able to do so successfully. He made 10 different quarterfinals, nine of them at the challenger level. He made three different challenger finals, won two challenger uh, titles, of course. Also made a quarterfinal in San Diego where he knocked out Jensen Brooksby, 7-5 in the third and uh, was ultimately knocked out in the semifinals there by eventual champion Brandon Nakashima. But Look, O'Connell's played very good ball of late, and the one-hander moves the ball around the court extraordinarily well. He's comfortable moving forward. He's rock solid, like just about every Australian man seems to be physically, you know, willing to play the two-and-a-half, three-hour, four-hour slog that these best-of-five matches can turn into. And, you know, for what it's worth, you look for... O'Connell in his career at the Slams. He's made the third round in Australia before, did it last year, beat Schwartzman before getting knocked out by Maxime Cressy. He made the second round at the U.S. Open back in 2020 as well. So his only main draw wins at Slams have come on hard courts. Also first round win 2021 Australian Open over Struff. I mean, again, this is an event, and he's got a a chunk of points to defend, clearly, with third-round points coming off of his resume. For a guy who's 79 in the world, that is a significant chunk of points. But this just feels like the perfect matchup for Jensen Brooksby, who, again, I am well aware for Brooksby, the struggle that was 12-11 and in first-round matches last season. But Brooksby looked refreshed. He just looked healthy. He looked springy in that first week in his uh, victories in Auckland. And, you know, again, if you don't... I, I know Cam Norrie kind of out-physicaled Brooksby, but Norrie also has the big weapons to turn to, the big forehand, the big serve-out wide to just set up all the court positioning things he wants to do. And I think Norrie is a better version of Jensen Brooksby right now I think O'Connell's, like, again, I don't think O'Connell's significantly better. Maybe his forehand, his ability to create from a neutral position is a little bit more, maybe that forehand's a little bit more powerful than Brooksby's. But, again, if it's a physical battle, if it's a chess match, if it's a you got to last four or five hours to win this match, I know O'Connell beat him in San Diego, but I'm betting on Jensen Brooksby in that scenario. And you look for O'Connell, who loses first round Adelaide to Kasmetovic, beats Hijikata in three sets in qualifying, but then losses to Milman, Tommy Paul, straight sets in Adelaide too. He got in as a lucky loser. One in three in his first four matches. Brooksby again into a semifinal in Auckland to kick off his season. Good wins over Fonini and Halis. Again, Schwartzman retires with an injury, but Brooksby was giving him the business in that first set. I test-wise, Brooksby's played better. On math, math-wise, paper-wise, I think Brooksby's the tougher test. Uh, you know, again, I, I think Brooksby has the better results. You look, according to our friends at Tennis Abstract, according to the singles forecast right now, Brooksby a 63% favorite. You look, according to our friends at DraftKings right now, Brooksby uh, also the favorite via the money line, and he is smack dab, smack dab, my friends, in the parlay zone here today. Jensen Brooksby minus 255 over Chris O'Connell. I'm going to go Brooksby, and rather than take that money line, even though I think that's the safer wager, I'm going to go with the game spread. You look for Jensen Brooksby, he's minus three and a half games against O'Connell. I don't see a world where Brooksby loses a set 6-love or 6-1. Like, I could see him losing a set 6-4, 7-5. I don't see him getting blown out in a set. And if you win a match and you don't get blown out in a set in a 3 out of 5 set match, typically you're going to cover 3.5 games, right? If it's 7-5, 4-6, 6-4, 6-4, you cover. Like, if it's 7-5, 4-6, 6-3, 6-4, 
you cover. Or 6376, you cover. I just think Brooksby gets through in this match. I think he's playing better right now. I think Brooksby's going to have a bigger bounce-back season after taking some lumps last year. But guess what? That's what happens early in a career. And after taking no lumps in 2021, he regressed back towards the mean in 2022. And that mean for him, that average Jensen Brooksby, proved he was still a top 50 guy. Give me Brooksby. I just don't think O'Connell has the consistent enough weapons to hurt him with. We're going to take the game spread instead of the money line. Minus three and a half games. Minus 135. That, my friends, is ace of the day number one. Ace of the day number two. Again, putting my money where my mouth is. I've talked all offseason long about how I think it's going to be a big year for the American men. I think a lot of that starts with Tommy Paul, who is just so clearly on the precipice of breaking out and becoming a consistent top 20 guy to end last season. You look for Tommy, who made a quarterfinal run to Queens Club on June 13th, or that's at least when the event started last year. You go from Queens Club onward, 24 and 14 overall for Tommy Paul. Over his last five months of the season, he went 11-2 in his 13 first matches that he played because some of the losses obviously came outside of ATP events. But 11-2 in first matches, made six total quarterfinals in those 13 events. That's what a top 20 guy, top 25 guy does, makes quarterfinals in half of their total events. And, you know, you look for Tommy over that stretch of time, was breaking serve 25.5% of the time. It's a top 15 number on the ATP Tour. And overall, he finished number 21 amongst top 50 players in how frequently he was breaking serve. The hold percentage over the last six months, 86.6%. That's a top 25 number as well. That would make him one of nine players to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. That's who he's been over the course of the last five, six months. And I know he lost to Draper 4-4 and in Adelaide, but... You know, he looked really good in beating O'Connell 4-5 and five in the first round match and was just a rock-solid physical match. O'Connell put, a, you know, again, O'Connell tested Tommy, extended rallies, but Tommy's willingness to turn into his forehand more frequently now and make that a consistent weapon in ca- instead of the occasionally seen weapon it used to be. I, I'm really impressed with Tommy's level of late. I think he's played some extraordinary tennis. He's taking on a guy in Jan Leonard Struff who did well to come through qualifying Struff, who's at 32 years old, fallen outside the top 100, currently sitting at 167, wins over Shevchenko, Gomez, and Skulkate without dropping a set to get through qualifying Struff last year, 8-13 and 13 at the tour level. You look for him, he hasn't had a winning season on the ATP Tour since 2019. And, you know, you look for him overall last year. Had a bunch of challenger success to end the season. Also made the semifinals of a challenger here to start the year. I just think Tommy's a different level. I think Tommy's athletic enough to handle the first strike of Struff, and I think he's going to be able to provide some pace of his own to get Struff out of the center. And again, I think Tommy's also at his best when he's improvising, when he's flashing his defensive skills, the fluidity, the athleticism. I just think Tommy's a little bit better at everything. You look for Tommy Paul tomorrow. He's minus 255 against smack dab in the parlay zone, much like Jensen as well. He's minus three and a half games. is minus 135. I think that's good value for, again, a rising Tommy Paul, who lost the match to Jack Draper, did not play bad in that match against Draper. You look at the stats for Tommy was broken three times in the match, but made only 58% of his first serves, which is below his typical average. And as such, just 
wasn't quite able to keep pace with a Draper, who, by the way, is one of the eight guys in 2022 who ranked top 25 in both hold and break percentage. So I don't think that's a bad loss. I think Tommy gets through this match against Struve. I could think he gets through comfortably in straight sets and sends a little message to Kasparud of like, hey, I'm coming for you in round number three. Give me Tommy over Struve, minus 135, minus three and a half games. Again, quarter of a unit, 0.25, to win 0.18 in return. That's ace of the day number two, ace of the day number three, and our third American man here. Is, is an old reliable here at Cracked Rackets. Let's roll with Ben Shelton. And I know you look for Shelton, who lost a tough match to Halise 3-2 and two, indoors in Auckland after knocking out Sebi Baez 6-1 and one, in round number one. Halise, uh, Shelton also first-round loss to James Duckworth in Adelaide Qualies. But you look for Ben Shelton, who's currently sitting at number 92, a career high in the live rankings, 41-13. and 13. Over his last 52 weeks, was able to make the Challenger Finals at six different events, won three straight Challengers to end his season, made the quarterfinals of eight different Challengers. I think he only played nine or ten throughout the course of the year. You look for Ben in first-round matches last year. Again, was just phenomenal. First matches of events, Ben 13-2 and two overall last season. He lost a five-setter to Nuno at the U.S. Open, lost a straight-setter to Renki Hijikata in Orlando first round of, uh, first month of June, first week of June, excuse me. Like, Ben comes out swinging, and again, you look at his matchup, he's taking on Zhang Jijian, the uh, 26-year-old from China who made his top 100 debut, first man from China to do that. He's 50-28 and 28. over the course of the last 52 weeks, has made four different challenger finals, has made ten, uh, excuse me, nine different challenger quarterfinals as well as a quarterfinal at, in, at the ATP level in Naples. He's played really good tennis. Again, a guy who's 97 in the world, a career-high ranking for the 26-year-old. These are two guys in similar places of their career, even if they're not similar age-wise. You look for uh, Jung Ji Jen in his career against left-handed players. The 26-year-old went 6-3 and three last year, 7-15 and 15 overall in his career against left-handed players, against top 100 opponents. Uh, the man from China currently in his career overall, uh, 13 and 20 overall, though again, many more repetitions for him than Ben Shelton. And for what it's worth, uh, the 26-year-old has won five of his last seven against top 100 opponents. But it's a bet on Ben. It's a bet on the serve. It's a bet on his weapons. It's a bet on the physicality. The fact that he was able to get a win in his uh, second event in Auckland, beat Baez, even though he got knocked out by Duckworth, just continued to prove he belongs at that level, continue to have the opportunity to work things out. I think Ben gets through this match. I, I, I do. I, again, I think he's got the biggest weapon on the court in his serve, in his forehand. I don't think Jung has the sort of weaponry to significantly test Ben's forehand wing with pace, which is how I think you get Ben to leave a ball short or ultimately break down because playing through the backhand is never the solution. Jung's a good server, not a great server. And again, I think Ben will have some clean looks at the return. It's just a bet on Ben. And I feel pretty comfortable betting on the 20-year-old American. So give me Ben Shelton. Also minus three and a half games. His odds are minus 120 uh, with those minus three and a half games. You bet a quarter of a unit. You win 0.2 in return for what it's worth. Ben Shelton, according to Tennis Abstract, a 77.6% favorite uh, over Jung. He's a minus 205 favorite, according to the DraftKings money line. Let's roll Shelton. 
Ace number three. Again, the lefty. I think he's on the rise. I think it's when, not if, he's going to crack the top 50 this season. Give me Ben, minus 120, quarter of a unit to win point two. The last American is a fellow former collegiate standout. Let's go J.J. Wolf, who has just been a different guy over the course of the last three months, really. Really since the start of the City Open, you look for J.J., who ultimately makes third rounds U.S. Open and quarterfinals, excuse me, finals in Florence where he beats Emer, he beats Bublik, he beats Cressy, all obviously top 100 victories. JJ currently sitting at number 66 in the world, 10 off his career high, which he reached at the end of last season. He got a win over Manorino in Auckland before getting knocked out by Marcos Giron. I just like Wolf over Jordan Thompson tomorrow, who so far this year, Thompson, a win over Safalin, a loss to Immer, 6-5 and five in Adelaide qualifying. He also lost to Halise, 3-4, and four, round of 32, Adelaide 1. Neither of those are bad losses. Uh, again, for Thompson, who's 28 years old, currently 85 in the rankings, you know he's a tough out physically. You know he thrives in three out of five sets. You know the Australian crowd will be behind him, and it'll be fascinating to see how J.J. Wolf handles that. But J.J. played for Ohio State. He's played against some crowds. He's been in some rowdy environments. I think he'll actually thrive on the energy. And again, as it pertains to the tennis, J.J.'s got the bigger serve. J.J.'s got the better forehand. After watching what J.J. did at RBA in round one of the U.S. Open, I just don't know how you don't take J.J., to win this match. First career head-to-head between the two. Again, JJ's moving well. He's lost a little weight. He hasn't lost any explosion. I think he's found the neutral ball. I think he's hitting his backhand with much more confidence. I think the pace of his forehand is going to overwhelm Thompson. And I think ultimately JJ wins this match. Now, you look according to our friends at DraftKings, J, uh, excuse me, at Tennis Abstract, JJ Wolf, a 64.5% favorite. According to DraftKings, JJ Wolf, just minus 170. So our friends at DraftKings think this is going to be close. And the game spreads minus two and a half games, which, again, if JJ wins this match, I think it covers minus two and a half because with his serve, his forehand, even in losing a set, if he goes down 3-0, I just don't see a world where he loses a set 6-0. You know, if anything, Thompson maybe takes his foot off the gas and just focuses in on his service games, allows JJ some easy looks at some easy plus one forehands, and he just keeps sets close even if he manages to lose one or two of them. I think JJ wins this match, and ultimately, if he wins, I think he covers a minus two and a half game spread. So give me Wolf. Over Thompson, minus two and a half games. Instead of the minus 170 money line, again, we're going to risk it for the biscuit. Let's go minus two and a half games, minus 125, 0.25 units to win 0.2 in return. Those are your four aces of the day and the four American men I will be watching most closely. Brooksby against O'Connell, Paul against Struve, Shelton against Jung, Wolf against Thompson. I do have one more ace, though, for all of you Australian Open and tennis fans, and it is a WTA match, as a matter of fact, to wrap things up here. Let's go with a little day two parlay, much like we did on day number one. Two seeded players who I just think are comfortable favorites, who I think will advance uh, fairly easily into round number two. Those are Beatrice Haddad Maya, the 14th seed, taking on Nuria Parizas Diaz, Ludmilla Samsonova, the 18th seed, taking on Jasmine Paulini Samsonova, a 73.5% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. Haddad Maya, a 78% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. Now, you look at the DraftKings odds for each of these players, Samsonova uh, via the money line, currently minus 
minus 575. You look for Haddad Maya. She's currently minus 500. They're both prohibitive favorites for a reason. You look for uh, Beatrice Haddad Maya over her last 52 weeks. She's 53 and 22 overall, winning 71% of her matches, 37 and 9 against opponents ranked outside the top 50. If you don't have a weapon to hurt Haddad Maya, she's too efficient. She's too physical. Again, the lefty will move you off the court and then use her strength, use her size to beat you to the spot, drive the ball down the line. She's comfortable moving forward. Paulini hits an explosive ball. They're just no, or excuse me, Perez as Diaz uh, can hit through the court. There's no doubt about that. And you look for Perez as Diaz currently at 77. The 31-year-old reached a career high of 45 early last season. Yet she's still just three and eight in her career against top 50 opponents and, you know, has never beaten a top 50 opponent at a slam in her career. I just don't think she's going to be in a position of of the court to be able to assert herself in the way she would like to. I think this match will be played on Haddad Maya's terms. And if you don't have a weapon to truly disrupt Haddad Maya with consistently, and I don't think the Parises Diaz serve is that, you look for Parises Diaz for her career. She's held 60.4% of the time at the tour level. I, I, if you play on Haddad Maya's terms, she's too efficient. Her floor is too high. I just think she's going to win comfortably. And you look at it as opposed to the minus 500. You can get her minus four and a half games, which means she just has to win four and three or bigger. I think she can do exactly that. I think she wins comfortably. Four and a half games, minus 165. Not quite good enough on its own. So we need a parlay. Let's go with another seat I feel pretty comfortable in tomorrow in Ludmilla Samsonova. You look for Samsonova, who, of course, was just about unbeatable down the home stretch of last season. Samsonova to end last year from Washington onward. She played 12 matches against opponents ranked outside the top 50. She went, excuse me, she played two, six, eight, nine, ten matches against opponents ranked outside the top 50. She went nine and one. Her only loss, a three-set loss to Andrescu in San Diego. She also went three sets and a win against Tomjanovic, but so in 10 total matches, she played what? 16 plus 6, 26 total sets. Uh, 16 plus 6, 22 total sets. She went 19 and 3 in her 22 total sets against opponents ranked outside the top 50 down the home stretch of last season. And I know Paulini can be explosive, but Jasmine Paulini, 8-19 and 19 in her career against top 50 opponents on hard courts, 10-40 and 40 overall in her career against the top 50, 2-9 in the last 52 weeks against top 50 opponents. I just don't think she has the size. I don't think she has the consistency to hang with someone with the weapons of Ludmilla Samsonova, who, again, has made a living over the last six weeks of beating whom she's supposed to beat, and I'm not concerned that she blew the 5-1 first set lead against Sabalenka or that she lost 5-3 and three to Anisimova last week. I test-wise, she's playing well enough. I think this is the match where Samsonova gets things back on track. Again, minus 550, no thank you, but minus four and a half games. When Samsonova beats people, she overwhelms them. 19-3 and three in the 22 sets she played against opponents ranked outside the top 50. She covers this spread, I believe, in eight of her nine wins, with the exception being the three-set match over Tomjanovic. Give me Samsonova. Minus four and a half games over Paulini. Minus 170. You parlay that with Haddad Maya. 
Now you're talking plus odds. We're going to throw that together, uh, 0.25 units to win, 0.38 in return again, because the odds on that, which I forgot to list, but leave it in because I still don't have super producer Daniel Westoff with me quite yet. You parlay the Samsonova odds with the Haddad Maya odds. Ultimately, what you end up getting is plus 155 odds. And so you do 0.25 units on that. You win 0.38 in return. That, my friends, is your final Ace of the day. Let's back a couple of seeds. Samsonova, her pace to overwhelm Paolini. Haddad buys efficiency to overwhelm Parisa's Diaz. Plus 155, quarter of a unit to win 0.38 in return. With that said, final thoughts here to wrap GSP. Ace of the day, day number two. I look at the board. There's some interesting single matches. Fernandez versus Cornet, you feel like, is one on the day that probably goes the distance. And once again here, and it's day number one, so you can't blame me for feeling this way. But I have 17 of the 32 women's matches going the distance. Now, that won't happen. But Fernandez, Cornet, certainly an eligible candidate. And Fernandez, a minus 190 favorite. Maybe you feel good about Layla, like David Kane, editorial producer for Tennis.com, does. Cornet's got a lot of points to defend. I'm staying away from that one, or if anything, taking the over. Claire Lou has the bigger weapons, but Madison Brangle's Madison Brangle. That one might go over. Lou minus 160. If Trevi San plays like she did in Sydney, minus 120 is a bargain for her against Shidlova. Uh, so that's interesting. Sharif, uh, Jensen Sung, both interesting underdogs on the day against Lynette and Paparin, respectively. But again, matches on the day I could see for sure going three sets. Muguruza Mertens, it's just destined to. Pavlochenkova Georgie, same thing. Martic Golubic, Stevens Potapova, destined to go three sets. I think Zinevska could be frisky against Kudermatova. She just makes you work. Shiyu, uh, Wang Shiyu against Pliskova. She's just got weapons to make Pliskova uncomfortable. I mean, again, Golubic, Martin, Martic, sure. Kirstea Putinseva, sure. They're all matches that are interesting to me uh, in terms of the overs on the day. 17 of them caught my eye. So I think the overs might be the smart play here on day two. And then, uh, at least as it pertains to the women's side, and then some spreads. Benchich, minus five and a half games is a lot, but even that's minus 235. I think she's going to blitz Tomova. Maybe you throw that in a parlay. Sabalenka, minus five and a half over Martinsova, minus 160. Martinsova's got weapons, so that's a stay away for me. Garcia minus five and a half. When she beats people, she kills them. She might kill Sabov. Kidnappy minus four and a half. You know, again, Von Drusova four and a half. If you want to bet on her like I do, I think she's going to have a big tournament. She takes on risk to start. Vekic minus three and a half. Alexandrova minus three and a half. You're just asking yourself for pain throughout the course of the day. So those are the women's matches I would keep my eyes on. Men's side, you know, again, Jari Kesmanovic. Four tight sets, take the over. Cressy Ramos Vanolas, Davidovich Bublik, Gasquet Umber, Vukic Holt. All of them feel like tight four sets and overs. Dimitrov Karatsev. Obviously, Rublev team feels like a tight over as well. Plenty of matches you feel like could go the distance. Evans minus six and a half is interesting. RBA minus six and a half is interesting. I really wanted to take Bonzi minus four and a half over Bellucci. Bellucci's played really well at the challenger level over the last six months, but Bonzi looked excellent in India to start the year. But I'm going to stay away, but I regret that decision already. You know, Karatsev plus five and a half, Jari plus five and a half, Sung plus seven and a half. Those are all underdogs I think are going to keep the matches close throughout the course of the day. But 
those are my thoughts on day two of the 2023 Australian Open. Again, to quickly recap the picks, let's go Brooksby, minus three and a half games over O'Connell, minus 135, quarter of a unit to win 0.18. Paul, minus three and a half games over Struve, minus 135, quarter of a unit to win 0.18. Shelton, minus three and a half games over Jung, minus 120, quarter of a unit to win 0.2. J.J. Wolf, minus two and a half games over Thompson, minus 125, quarter of a unit to win 0.20. A Samsonova Haddad, minus a parlay, each of them minus four and a half games, plus 155 odds, quarter of a unit to win 0.38. Those are the picks, of course, if you're looking for recaps of every day of the 2023 Australian Open. Be sure to go check out our mini break podcast feed. You can find all the shows on the newly renovated CrackedRackets.com website. Shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff. With that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Those are your day two GSP aces of the day. As always, you know what we say. May the odds be ever in your favor. Good luck, everyone.